Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. It's been a while since I was a seven, eight, or nine-year-old boy, but I'll never forget that sinking feeling of shaking the present beneath the Christmas tree. Y'all know the ones that I'm talking about. They were long, about yay big, about that deep. They were not heavy presents. I could even hear the tissue wrapping rustling inside. They were the kind of boxes that my mom would get at JCPenney or Sears. And I didn't care one whit how pretty of a present it was. I knew what was going to be inside it. Clothes. You know, the, the worst present in the world is clothes at Christmas. I didn't want clothes. I didn't want another plaid shirt. I didn't want a sweater vest that just fit too snugly, even though my mom said it did. As an aside, I have to tell you that some of the, the greatest battles that I had with my parents came on Sunday morning because I had to wear church clothes. And church clothes back in 1978 were hideously uncomfortable. And what was it about turtleneck um, sweaters in the 70s? They were thick, they were hot, they were incredibly uncomfortable, and all I could do was pull on them. And Christmas was the time that I was bestowed with these gifts of clothing. Oh, y'all, I know I needed them. And they were, they were lovely gifts. They were needed. Many of the gifts that I received from my mom in particular um, were, were homemade gifts. They were gifts that my mom had made for me. And looking back, of course, I see how lovely of a gift they were. But y'all, clothes for Christmas? Was it just last Sunday that we had a baptism? You know, when I think about new clothes at Christmas, I can't help but to remember something I learned in seminary many years ago about church history. They, they didn't baptize like we did last Sunday. Um, and there have been many traditions involving new beginnings with baptism over the centuries of Christian tradition, but one of my favorites went way back to the very, very early church where new converts to Christianity would arrive on Easter Sunday morning, if not the day before, where they, where they would have had a period of, of prayerful preparation for dawn, for first light. For it was at first light that these candidates for baptism would come in the company of the church and they would do so in their old clothes with their old given name. But upon arriving in the waters of baptism, they would take off their old clothes, be baptized in their birthday suits, 
They would then receive a new name and new clothes as they came up out of the waters of baptism. Now, needless to say, this tradition would triple our attendance on baptism Sunday mornings. But wouldn't that just be lovely? The idea that at our baptism, we become different people. What we brought into the waters of baptism were washed away, left behind. That, that we received a new identity in Christ. That we received new clothes. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, our scripture passage this morning, it's about clothes. It's about new clothes at Christmas. And again, not just any clothes, but new clothes. According to Paul, there's a, there's a particular dress code that we should be wearing. And I find it interesting that as Paul lifts up the, what we followers of Jesus should be clothing ourselves with, that it, it may just work best if we imagine that there are particular circumstances where these attributes, these pieces of clothing, are particularly needed. You saw them earlier or heard them, if you were listening, as, as I read the scripture. Paul says, as God's chosen ones, we're to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness, humbleness and meekness, patience, bearing with one another, offering forgiveness. These attributes are easy when those circumstances we find ourselves in are sweet and kind. I mean, let's face it, everybody can be compassionate when the culture is kind and gracious. We can all be humble when we know that the right and appropriate behavior is one of putting others before ourselves. When we are freely forgiven, then it makes it very easy for us to extend forgiveness. But I don't think Paul is talking about a church that's living in this type of a gracious setting. Now, I think he's telling us we need to put on this clothes because we've been operating in dingy, worn-out, threadbare clothes for way too long. I'm sure y'all have better morning rhythms than I do. While sipping coffee, I tend to look through the headlines. This is not a new tradition, of course. <laughs> People have been looking through newspapers for many, many years in our context, but the way that we do that now is that device in our pocket, and I'll thumb through. My eyes are drawn to certain stories just as they once were when I looked at the Asheville Citizen Times back in the late 1980s or the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. One of those journals, one of those newspapers came in the morning and in the evening. Do you remember this, how we got our news? The only way we did was either radio or a newspaper, and there were multiple editions. Why? Because news was always changing. I don't know when this article was published, but I read it this morning. It's from the Washington Post. It described the context of these last two years, which I know I don't have to identify for you. But it's a, been a particularly traumatic time, according to this one writer from the Washington Post. This is what they stated about our context 
Nearly two years into a pandemic coexistent with several national crises, many Americans are profoundly tense. They're snapping at each other more frequently, suffering from physical symptoms of stress and seeking methods of self-care. In the most extreme cases, they're acting out their anger in public, bringing their internal struggles to bear on interactions with strangers, mental health experts said. Yeah, this isn't news to us, is it? Now, we've been living it. We've seen the bad behavior on aisle nine at Food Lion. We've been cut off in traffic. We've seen someone nearly get hit here on Main Street and heard the vile things that are shouted in our fair town. We've seen what people have posted on social media. Some of us have liked those things that have been posted on social media. We've heard the gossip in the coffee rooms that we've had to mask up for just to to be present with. We've, we've heard what our aunt has told us about the, the thing that was said in the parking lot the other day. And goodness, the types of things that happen on airplanes these days or while waiting in line at security or the violence that happens on, on the steps of, of federal buildings It's been a hard couple of years. I certainly don't have to describe them to you for you to know about them. It feels like we're we're undergoing this great unraveling, doesn't it? In our culture, in our neighborhoods, and, and perhaps even in your homes. I'm not privy to the conversations that you have with your spouse with your parents, with your in-laws, but I suspect they are just as tensely identified and um, in their feel and than I have felt myself. It's been a hard time. So it's not been very easy for us to put on clothes of compassion and kindness or humility or meekness or patience. But that's precisely why Paul states to the church that this is what we should do in response to a world that is so coarse. Compassion and kindness is precisely what's needed for us to put on when we feel justified to be cruel and harsh. That's precisely what we need to pull over our heads and snug up to when things feel so hard and difficult. Humility and meekness is what is ordered up when all we want to do is to be served by others. And patience is what is demanded when we have none. If our old clothes are vices, y'all, then these new clothes are what God wishes and commands for us to put on instead. You know, when I zoom out from this scripture passage, I can't help but to think that it really is is a good description of what worship should be about. 
and why I think intuitively we make this a part of our weekly rhythm. That is, to be present here, a place that commands our attention for God and God's word in a world that just wants to steal our attention. Look, we've got candles, candlelight that flickers, reminding us that it's true. In God's presence in Jesus, God wants to give us hope and peace, joy and love. The Chrismon tree with ornaments that remind us of God's good work in the Hebrew scriptures and and in the good news of of Jesus' work among us. We come to this place because even the windows and the light that scatters through it, they tell stories to remind us of a different narrative even the location of this pulpit, of of God's word, which is central, trumped only by the waters of baptism behind us. And if that's not enough, the old stained glass window from the first church of the Good Shepherd, all of these symbols work to remind us that we are God's chosen people, just as Paul describes here. And that because we are chosen, it's imperative for us to act and dress as though we are different, for we are. So worship becomes a a kind of dressing room where we can take off what we've brought in here and put on what God wishes for us to be clothed in. We clothe ourselves in worship with godly Christ-like values when we come into God's presence each week in worship. Paul says, in addition to putting on these clothes, these Christ-like attributes, we are to be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your heart sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Doesn't that sound like worship? Worship is where we remove our old clothes and put on new ones. Maybe, maybe this is more than just a figurative attempt to identify what God wishes for us. Maybe, maybe there is something literal about this. I can't help but to recall that the gospel writer goes out of his way to report what Jesus was dressed in when he was born. Now, it must be said, this baby Jesus does look like Mary had visited Kmart. (laughs) But this is not, according to the gospel writer of Luke, this is not what Jesus looked like or was wrapped in. He was wrapped in cloths, which we know was the ancient practice, or perhaps not so ancient practice, of swaddling. While they were there, the Bible tells us, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. (laughs) Who knew that in the nativity story we'd find a reference to clothes? but we do. It's called swaddling. 
It's the practice of wrapping tightly a newborn in a blanket, or in the case of Jesus, bands of cloth. There's several reasons that we've done this throughout human history. There was one way of thinking that swaddling was a way to keep the limbs straight by keeping them restrained. <laughs> I don't believe that for a moment. Swaddling recreates the womb. It provides a setting where the baby is comforted. It mimics the coziness of the womb. And as many of us know, by caring for our own children or grandchildren, in wrapping up our newborn babies, it enables them to feel constant presence and contact. Swaddling provides the sensation of touch. A snug swaddle helps to mimic the, the pressure of a, of a mother's touch and, and triggers a self-soothing response in the human brain. It tells the baby, I am here. At Christmas, we highlight the fact that we need more than just a wardrobe change. We need more than just new clothes. We need to be swaddled in God's presence. For just as Christ himself was swaddled and wrapped in new cloths, we too need more than just to put on kindness and compassion, meekness and humility or patience. For we know all too well that with any clothing we might put on, they're easy to take off. So no, we don't just need new clothes in this caustic, hard, and difficult world. We need to be completely wrapped up this Christmas. We need God to imprint upon us what it looks like to be Christ-like. Because everything in our context beyond this setting, it's hard and difficult. And our clothes get tattered and worn down and threadbare. But Paul reminds us that what knits these new cloths together is love, which we celebrate in God not giving up on us. John 3, 17. I know, it gets overlooked. John 3, 16, of God's great love of sending Jesus to us. But, but bring new attention to verse 17 and about how God came down to this world not to condemn it or us, but to save us. God has not given up on us, and we probably shouldn't give up on the world either. The only way, y'all, that we can truly be chosen ones, different, set apart, holy, salt and light, is not just to put on new clothes, as Paul says, but to be swaddled in God's presence. For that's the only thing that will change the world we live in. So let's take a cue from the Christ child. Let's be wrapped up in Christ's touch and love. Let us pray. God, draw close to us and wrap us up so that our heartbeat settles down so that we're able to breathe deeply 
so that we're able to rest as you intended us to rest, to have deep sleep, trusting your presence. For truly, God, it's only in the context of Sabbath, of being wrapped in your presence, that we're going to be changed so that we can awaken each morning ready to to put on clothes of compassion and kindness, of humbleness and meekness, and of patience, so that in truth we can bear with one another, that we can practice forgiveness. God, it's so easy to take off these clothes. That's why we're asking you, God, to wrap us up. Wrap us up tight, God. That's what we need today. Change us inside out, Father. For it's in the name of the Christ child that we pray these things. Amen.